Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for this latest episode of the INC Preview Show. My name is Carl Bainbridge and I am joined once again by John Marsh in MMA. John, you made such a good impression on short notice, we invited you back. Thank you very much. Uh, happy to be here, Carl. Again, you called it, that Kevin Kroon performance last time. We predicted both of the title fights right. Both of us picked uh, Jan and Izzy, so I'm happy to be back for this UFC 254 pay-per-view. Khabib and Gaethje is, is as good as MMA gets, so I can't wait to break these down, uh, break down these fights with you here shortly. And I think it's, it's a real testimony, in my opinion, to how good of a card this could be, because we've had, obviously, Conor McGregor made his return this year. Uh, there was Masvidal, uh, who got like over a million buys for the Kamara Usman fight. Yet this feels bigger than those two, which is a sign of, of Khabib's star power and what an intriguing fight it's going to be. And obviously we'll be talking about that fight and the rest of the main card coming up over the next, what, 19 minutes or so? And I'm really looking yeah, forward man. to it. Yeah, man, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, as you, I mean, Khabib is an international star. Make no mistake about it. I mean, I think his fight in Russia against Poirier got 25, 30 million views. Um, so he could be more popular than Connor now. I expect to see a high pay-per-view buy rate number for this pay-per-view. And it is being treated as the elite level fight that it is. So I can't wait to analyze it. And the rest of the card has some good fights too. So it should be a, a fun card with a lot of good matchups. And uh, we're going to break them all down here shortly. And I think it's a real testimony as well. Because normally a lot of the pay-per-views are built around the American audience. Yet Khabib has reached that level now. Not only with this pay-per-view but with Poirier last year that the UFC are bending the rules and saying, hey, this guy is so big in Russia, we're going to put it on 12 o'clock in the afternoon for the Americans. Yeah, that's a, a bold step, but I think it's the correct one, honestly. I think that it's worth uh, watching the fights a little earlier in the day to see uh, a generational talent like Khabib. It's definitely paying off for them in Russia. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the UFC is making some revenue somehow off of um, Khabib's popularity there, but 25, 30 million viewers um, for an MMA fight, I mean, that's just unheard of in any other place of the world. So it just shows how popular Khabib is. And as a Brit, I'm not complaining. I get to watch it at 7 o'clock. No, 3 o'clock starts for me. Yeah, it's a nice change waking up a little early in the morning. I think the uh, prelims will start at like 10 a.m. for me, so it's a nice change for me as well. And I'm sure you're really grateful not having to stay up all night to watch the fights for a change. Certainly so, and we have got ourselves some great fights, which we will be talking about in a little bit more detail. Before we get to those, though, we need to talk about some of the uh, big stories, big incidences which have been happening over the past 7, 14 days or so. And we're going to be starting by what happened last night, there was a lot of people, you know, who wrote off Brian Ortega going into his fight with Korean Zombie. In the words of Roy Jones, though, you all must have forgot because what a fantastic performance that was. Yeah, great performance. Five-round performance. Ortega looked like an improved fighter. Chan Sung Jung definitely had an off night, but I don't think that that performance was out of nowhere. I think that there was some things on his tape that indicated that he could struggle here. Um, going into the week, I was actually picking Korean, Korean Zombie to get the win. But after doing some tape study, after re-watching these guys' most recent fights, I realized that uh, Zombie was a little reliant on that early knockout in the first round. And when the fight goes out around round one, he loses a lot of his effectiveness. That Yaya Rodriguez was a sloppy performance, although he should have uh, won that fight via decision. Um, there were a lot of problems that Korean Zombie had in that fight with his footwork, with his uh, pace, with his pressure. And I thought that Brian Ortega would actually expose those problems if he made it out of round one. He did so. He won round one. 
one himself and just completely dominated Chan Sung Jung the whole time. So very impressive performance. I'm excited to see where Brian Ortega goes from here. I would honestly like to see him maybe, uh, I don't agree with him getting a title shot against Volkanovski. I think that Calvin Cater deserves a title shot more than Brian Ortega does. But I would like to see Brian Ortega fight the winner of Zabit and Yair. Or maybe even, uh, I would not like to see the Max Holloway rematch. Maybe Dan Ige versus Brian Ortega, that would be a lot of fun. But I think that uh, giving Ortega Volkanovski would be a mistake. What do you think about that, Carl? I think the UFC made too big of a deal for them to do something other than Volkanovski. I think that Dana's original idea was to do the third Holloway fight, Holloway Volkanovski 3. But the fan interest just wasn't there for it. And I think he's come around to the idea of doing Ortega now. I agree with you though, I think there's there's a lot of potential matchups for Ortega. I mean this is a guy on a one fight winning streak, you can't you gotta remember that. Personally I would like to see guys who can string up three or four wins getting title shots, uh, which is something we'll be talking about when we discuss one of the fights a little later on in the show. Um, in terms of matchmaking though, I think the UFC are gonna do um, Volkanovski versus Ortega. I'd like to see Holloway versus Cater. Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing, honestly. Um, I think it would just be such a disservice. I mean, again, one win, but one win in two years as well. So I think that that would just be, quite frankly, crazy to give Ortega the title shot off of just one win like that. Um, and who knows? The UFC changes their opinion left and right. Um, there have been number one title contender fights before where the challenger never gets that title shot. So that very well could happen here. I, I mean, I personally think Calvin Cater, Cater is clearly the number one. Um, do you, what about you? Do you think that if you had to give it to Cater or Ortega, who would you give it to? I would give it to Ortega simply because Cater hasn't had that that big statement win. I mean, if you look at Calvin Cater's like biggest victories, what, Jeremy Stevens, Dan Ige... He needs to beat someone like a Yair or a Zabit or a Max Holloway. If he gets through one of those, I'm all for Calvin Cater because I'm very high on him. Yeah, I see the logic there. Um, and I mean, it's the sport is very, what have you done for me lately? Mm -hmm. So Ortega coming off of that dominant five-round performance, he likely does get it, but that's just the way UFC does things. Um, but the, the card in general I thought was really, really fun. Um, you saw Jessica Andrade get a round one finish. Um, Jimmy Crute had a nasty knockout in round one. Martinez and Almeida had a fun fight. So uh, what did you think of the card last night uh, overall? Did you watch this one live or did you catch up on it this uh, the morning after? I was a morning after guy. Unfortunately, I have so much on my plate that I just don't have the time to stay up till about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. I thought it was a solid card. Not as good as the week before, which was absolutely nuts. Um... Andrade surprised me. I had, I chose Chukasian. I thought that a reach was going to be too much for Andrade to handle. But Jess has shown before in the past that she knows how to handle much bigger fighters. So I could see where the winner was coming from. But we talk about fighters getting wins off one fight winning streaks. Andrade has pretty much got that title shot now. After doing that to yeah. one contender. It's funny, I'm going to contradict myself <laughs> because, yep, Jessica Andrade is the clear number one contender for women's flyweight right now her first fight at the weight class one win but that's just because uh the women's division is just so much different night and day different than uh the men's divisions and i'm sure that shevchenko will uh get through Dame or maya jennifer maya you were gonna say damien sure maya there weren't you 
Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, the way some people treat Shevchenko, they might think that she she beats Damian Maya as well. But no, I think that she'll get through uh, Jennifer Maya, and then the Andrade fight will be an actual difficult matchup for her. I think that we'll see um, Shevchenko as not a 15 to 1 favorite for the first time in a few fights we'll actually see some competitive betting lines there and that'll be a fun one uh so andrage at the 125 pound weight class is a nice fresher breath there i don't know what you're thinking about i mean better calls it a complete human being they call who the complete human? oh yeah right yeah nothing nothing wrong with her although she did lose some fans uh this week mm. for, for posting a picture or something so yeah well we'll not go um, into that yeah what we will go into, though, is talking about our prelim fights. Of course, USC 254, big event uh, taking place in Abu Dhabi. So you can expect with Khabib on the card, he's got a lot of his teammates on there. He's also got a lot of Russian fighters. So we'll just look at some of the prelims in a little bit more detail. Now, uh, we picked out two fights in particular which are of note to us. The first one is our prelim main event. Taito Avasov is back in action for the first time in over a year. He's going to be taking on Stefan Struve. Now... It's safe to say, considering he had a lot of hype, people were calling him the new Mark Hunt. Ty's stock has taken a big hit over the past 12 months. So he's been training in America recently, really seems to have upped his attitude to the sport. And I think Stefan Struve is a big litmus test for whether or not he's UFC worthy. Yeah, um, that's a funny thing. The, the next Mark Hunt, honestly, that, that cracked me up. Um, yeah, his stock has definitely taken a plummet, three losses in a row. But I'll admit, I, I've got some respect for Ty. I mean, he seems like a cool, fun guy, has a podcast himself. But he actually uh, humbled himself and decided to go to uh, California to train with Daniel Cormier and was training wrestling with some high schoolers, some big uh, high school guys, and getting taken down, getting... Uh, put on bottom by 16, 17 year olds. So, I mean, he was really wanting to learn, wanting to improve his wrestling, his grappling. Unfortunately, he ran into Sergey Spivak last fight and was not able to stop those takedowns. Got taken down about six or seven times and eventually got uh, arm triangle choked in round two there. But it does seem like Ty is trying to improve himself. I wonder how much training he got done in America because the virus happened and uh, his last fight was in October. So, I'm not, I'm sure. Sh- I'm probably banking on him not improving his wrestling too much. I, I don't think that he really has the capabilities to improve that much of a fighter. I think he's just so limited athletically that I don't think we'll ever really see him develop into a good fighter. Um, but Stefan Struve, on the other hand, also has not used his athleticism to develop into a good fighter. He's been kind of a frustrating fighter to watch over the years, definitely towards the end of his career. And his last fight, uh, what a hilarious fight that was. Feel really bad for the guy, honestly. He got kicked in, in the nuts two times, was hurt bad, and the referee convinced him to go back in there and try to fight. And then, of course, he gets knocked out right away. Um, so uh, what are you thinking about this matchup? Carl, I'll pass it over to you for, before I give my official prediction. I'm leaning towards Ty. I think the Spivak loss was very humbling for him. It was a hometown loss against a guy who I had doubts going into that fight whether he was worthy of being in the UFC Spivak. Uh, he has proved me wrong. He has got a couple of wins since then. But I think that was sort of that, that moment for Ty where he thought, I need to up my game. I think relocating to America was a big step. Um, he's not going to be completely transforming himself. We're not going to see him turning into Daniel Cormier in this fight. But I do think he would handle the ground game a lot better. And also as well, I just sort of feel like Struve is 
Struve doesn't have the motivation he did earlier on in his career. I know when Struve was getting like three, four, five winning streaks, he entered into the top ten and we sort of thought maybe he has started to put things together a little bit. But he retired after, uh, I think he fought in, was it Rotterdam? He fought him on the European shows, retired, came back for the Rothwell fight. It just sort of feels like, hey, I'm a seven foot tall guy, I know how to fight, so I might as well do it. I don't really feel like he's heart in it in the same way the ties is going to be going into this fight. Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely think that Struve seems to have one foot out the door and Tuivasa is um, probably more motivated. I think he was actually cut from the UFC and is getting another chance here. So I definitely think the tie will come in more motivated at the two. I just don't know if, if it will be enough to close that skill gap between them. But the good thing for Tuivasa is that Struve just doesn't seem to know what his strengths are. It seems like uh, he can have success striking, he can have success grappling and getting takedowns at times, but he just doesn't have a clear plan of what he wants to do. So I actually do think that Ty has a good chance to just rush Struve on the feet, land a hard punch, and try to put him out. That's what Marcos uh, DeLima did in the first minute of their fight when they fought. DeLima dropped him, stayed on top for five minutes somehow gassed himself out and then he got taken down and choked out in round two so Struve isn't uh, ready to quit yet you know he had a chance to to quit in that uh, Delima fight on bottom he had a chance to quit in the Rothwell fight and still tried to fight and get that win so he definitely has some fight left in him I think that I'm gonna leave him with Stefan Struve a little bit here to win a decision a low output boring heavyweight decision but in terms of betting I'm in no rush to bet on uh, uh, Stefan Struve as a favorite I'm actually pretty clo- uh, surprised to see the lines this close, but it seems like people think that Ty can just walk him down and get that early knockout. So pure pick, I'm going to go with Stefan Struve by decision, but I would not be betting this fight, and I wouldn't honestly be too upset to see Ty get a win. I think he deserves it. Someone did ask this question on uh, Reddit a couple of days ago. Who is the biggest asterisk for sort of like one of the current champions? Struve beating Steve here, uh, Sarah Delelio beating Nunes, or Joe Duffy beating Conor McGregor? Uh, I think it's got to be Nunes' loss for, for sure, right? Um, I mean, I don't know, though. It, it's bad. I, I mean, even Jan Blachowicz has some, some bad Pat losses. Cummins. Just a, a, yeah, Pat Cummins beat uh, Jan Blachowicz just a few years ago. But I think... Um, the way that the way that Struve got uh, Struve caught Miocic was legitimate. I don't think that was a complete like fluky win at all. So I got to go with uh, Nunez's loss. Um, who was the woman's name again? Sarah Delalio, eleven and seven record. Also lost to Roxanne Modafferi. Yeah, so that's that's a pretty that's a pretty crazy blemish there. In terms of the other prelim fights, is there anything else that sticks in your mind? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the one that uh, really sticks out is Casey Kenny uh, taking on Nathaniel Wood. What an amazing fight that is. Two uh, prospects at 135, but it's hard to even call them prospects because they're both pretty proven. I think that Kenny is the more proven of the two, the former LFA champ. I think he's a little more well-rounded of a fighter. He's got a little more layers to his striking. He can throw kicks really well, as we saw in his last fight. He landed probably 150 kicks on uh, Haile Alatang in that fight. And I had a bit of a question about Casey Kenny's cardio, his gas tank, but he kept up a three uh, three hard rounds in that fight. But when Casey grapples a lot in his early rounds, he tends to slow down in round three. It kind of happened in the Borg fight. It happened in the Bermudez fight. So if this fight features a lot of grappling early, um, look for Casey Kenny to possibly start slowing down later. Um, 
But this is just such a good fight. They're going to be pretty evenly matched on the feet and on the ground. But I do give Casey Kenny an advantage everywhere. I think he's just a little cleaner of a striker, of a grappler. And he's got more experience against higher level competition. So I'm leaning with him in this fight. But it really could play out in a lot of different ways. I think Casey Kenny by decision will be my official prediction. But uh, Nathaniel Wood really surprised me in that last fight against Castaneda. His boxing looked improved. He had a solid full 15 minutes of cardio but that was just against a much lower level opponent it's a massive step up in competition and i think we see wood come up a little short here just like he did against john dotson not that long ago so what are you thinking about this one carl are you excited for i this think fight? it's gonna be a fantastic fight i personally think it could be the fight of the night because you got two guys great um great winning streaks um well not so much winning streaks but they got a lot of wins on the record casey kenny looked fantastic last time out i think the final wood he needed that drop down in competition after what happened against John Dodson. But in my eyes, both of these guys are worthy of being in the top 15. And the top 15 of a bantamweight division, which is looking better by the day. Yeah, very, very fair assessment of them. Um, so who, who do you think you're going to pick to win this one? I'm going to lean... I'm going to go the same way as you. I think Kenny's wrestling is going to be the big factor in this one. Uh, Nathaniel Wood, he is one of the better British grapplers, but... That's sort of like saying that uh, Mike Batt's best song was "Remember Your Womble." So, yeah, I agree. He is a he is a good grappler for being you know an English guy. Those guys kind of get a bad reputation, but he has solid takedowns, good jujitsu skills, and he's really improving everywhere. So, I think that. In terms of betting in this one, we see Casey Kenny is pretty much a two-to-one favorite. I think that that's uh, about right, maybe even a little steep for Casey Kenny. So I would not be laying that minus 200 bet on Casey Kenny here. If you want to bet this one, I would go with Wood as an underdog because I think he probably will fight for your money and make this decision close, especially early in the fight. It should be really competitive. So amazing fight. I'm actually seeing on Tapology this is a minus or a, it's a 140-pound catchweight fight. So maybe. Casey Kenny's I think he's coming in on pretty short notice. He only fought a few weeks ago, so maybe they made this one a catch weight. Are you seeing that as well? I am seeing that, yeah. So I have to apologize for the graphics graphics have got that one down as a bantamweight fight. Yeah, it's it's bantamweight between you and me. I mean the the implications of the fight will will carry at bantamweight. Um but another fun prelim fight, we don't have to analyze this one too much but this is going to be a hilarious fight da Eun jung versus sam alvey <laughs> sam alvey not the most exciting fighter but he produces some pretty hilarious fights from time to time and da Eun jung you guys might not know him only a few fights in the ufc but he also produces exciting fights got some uh real power in his hands he's finished both of his fights so far so i think that'll be a fun fight uh likely goes to the decision and i'll pick da Eun jung in that one and we're going to be interested to see who you're going to pick for our opening fight of the night. Now, we've got to mention this is a six-fight main card. First time since UFC 190 that the UFC have done a six-fight main card. And we're almost going back to the future for this one because this is the same opening fight we were supposed to be having on UFC 252. It fell through. It has done countless times throughout this year. Magomed Ankalaev is taking on Ion Kutalava, a rematch from their fight earlier this year where Kevin McDonald made arguably one of the worst calls in referee history. Yeah, definitely a bad uh, early stoppage in that fight. Um, but I, I can't make up my mind on whether Kudalaba was sort of faking it and selling it or not. Initially, I thought he was. I When I rewatched the the 
the fight, watching his body language, it, it just seems like he's acting a little bit. I, I do agree that he was hurt. I mean, you can watch the, the punches land in slow motion. Ankalaev did land a really hard counter right hook on Kudalaba that wobbled his, high, his head to the side. So I don't think Kudalaba was completely faking it, but... I definitely think that his body language was kind of trying to egg uh, Ankalaev on. It was just a completely weird fight. You honestly can't even draw that much from that fight. Although it looked like Ankalaev had the ability to counterpunch Kudalaba when he was coming in. So based on that alone, I think that Ankalaev should still be a pretty significant favorite here. I think that he should win this fight in the same fashion by just countering Kudalaba when he comes in. He's the much more... Uh, complex and layered striker he's actually probably one of the better best strikers at the 205 pound weight class i can't wait to see ankalaya challenge for the title someday and i really don't see kudalaba winning this i mean he's just going to have to bum rush ankalaya and score an early knockout but he's going to be bum rushing the better counter striker so i just think it's a really tough matchup for kudalaba and we saw just a glimpse of uh, the full struggle in that 45-second uh, fight in Norfolk a, a few months ago. Um, so what are you thinking about this one? Uh, and, and I want to hear your thoughts on uh, Kudalaba, his body language, and whether you think he was really hurt or whether you think he was selling it a little bit. I think he was selling it. I think that Kudalaba is somebody who is known for sort of like riling up his opponents, sort of playing up to try and get them to almost play his game. So I think he was feigning it. Um, obviously, Ankalaev wasn't buying into it. Unfortunately for him, Kevin McDonald did. Um, the key for me, the giveaway, in my opinion, that shows that Kutalaba was faking it was just that almost instantaneous, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost hurt, I'm looking me, I'm wobbling here. And the moment McDonald stopped the fight, that completely came to a halt. So that's evidence to me that he was, he was doing it for sure. In terms of Kutalaba himself, I think he's a very exciting fighter. He can be brash, but I think he needs to. I think there's some people who need to rile up their opponents to get the best out of themselves. He's sort of thinking, hey, I'm going to fight here. I'm going to act like a dick. If I, if I behave like a dick, I'm going to be a better fighter. I'm going to be more aggressive. And I think Kutalab is one of those people. Um, in terms of how he's going to be fighting this, look for his very quick starts. We saw against Glover. He knocked Glover down, came very close to finishing that fight. Glover came back to win it. Um, he does like to take the front foot, so when you've got somebody in Ankalaev who also, in my opinion, is quite a forward pressing fighter, um, I think that that conflict is going to be interesting to see. Um, and I'd be interested to see if Kutalaba can get this to the ground, because in his most impressive win against Khalil Rountree, we saw him completely neutralise a great striker and just hammer him until the ref stopped the fight. So. In my opinion, if Kutalaba is going to get the victory, that could possibly be how it's going to go. Yeah, I, I agree with that approach. He was able to catch a kick from Roundtree, turn it into a takedown, and just smash him with ground and pound from top. So he could realistically do that to Ankalaev here. Ankalaev does throw a lot of kicks. I think Ankalaev is probably good enough to avoid that happening and to probably get uh, back up to the feet if that does happen. And it's the speed but of it, the kicks as well. Ankalaev's left kick is like a piston. Yeah, I mean, he knocked out uh, Prachnia with that. And, yeah, good good uh, point about the, the their um, 
their attitudes going into the fight. Kudalaba does like getting in that personal attitude. And I feel like Ankalaev treats this like a martial arts contest, and Kudalaba's treating it like a fight. And Ankalaev has so much more experience. I mean, master in sport and combo and everything, or in uh, combat sambo. So he has so much more experience. But you can see that Kudalaba likes getting that animosity, likes getting uh, violent in there, and that somehow makes him a better fighter. So let, let him keep doing that. It provides for some entertainment. But uh, sadly, I just don't think that he has a great chance to win this fight. So I think the odds are about right here with about with Ankalaev around uh, 73%, 75%. That seems pretty accurate to me. Uh, according to Bovada, Ankalaev is a minus 280, Kudalaba plus 220. So I think that's about right. Yep, I fully agree with that. And it's good as well to see Ankalaev winning back a lot of the... There was a lot of people, obviously, who saw what happened against Paul Craig on his debut. And you can imagine this guy being shot to the moon. So he's had to win, like, four or five fights to get back to this position when, had it been, like, one second earlier, he would be he would be probably in the, what, top seven, top eight right now? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, that was a huge blemish on his career. One of the most confusing moments in MMA history, honestly. A guy who's winning... 14 minutes of the fight uh, taps out with two seconds left um, but who knows uh, that fight was honestly so far in the past that uh, it might, might almost not be worth uh, discussing anymore I don't think it has uh, too much of an impact on their current fights but that's certainly a fun uh, a fun little blemish to look on uh, Ankalaev's record at so are we going to pick Ankalaev for this one? Oh yeah, I'll be going with uh, Ankalaev round two knockout is my official prediction you read my mind, I think exactly the same way no, nice, we're on the same page. It'll be interesting to see if we're on the same page when we look at fight number two. Now we're going to the women's flyweight division. And this was originally going to be Lauren Murphy taking on Cynthia Calvillo in what many people thought could be a number one contender match to potentially fight the Shevchenko Maya winner. Two big things have happened since then though. One, we mentioned before, Jessica Andrade getting that win over Chukasian, who almost certainly jumps the queue. But also Calvillo testing positive for COVID. She's been pulled from the card. Now, there was a fighter who was tapped to fight Lauren Murphy, but they also got caught by COVID. Now, there's a lot of rumors that it could have been Alexa Grasso. We can't confirm that. Uh, stepping in to take their place, I hope I pronounced this right, is an 8-1 fighter, Lilia Shakarova. And what a big stage for her to make her UFC debut, taking on the number four flyweight. Yeah, I was able to do some tape on uh, Shakarova last night. Um, she seems to have a decent record, some wins over um, decent fighters. Not a completely padded record, but you do see your fair share of uh, low-level wins, um, like most fighters coming into the UFC. But uh, Shakarova seems pretty well-rounded, honestly. She can fight from both stances. She has uh, a Muay Thai striking style where she's pretty defensive, low intensity, doesn't like really pressuring her opponents much, just likes kind of staying at range and picking them apart, staying defensively sound. And she likes hitting takedowns to... Uh, to ice rounds to win those close rounds so if a round is a four minutes of striking there's not a clear winner she usually shoots a takedown in the last 60 seconds to uh win that round convincingly the very high but, altitude takedowns that's the big thing that i've noticed from her um almost sort of like you know how like dc would just proper pick someone up and just chuck them over his head that's sort of the way she goes for her takedowns and i've done a bit of reading up on her she was also i believe and those Becky national wrestling champions. So her forte is going to be on the ground here. 
Yeah, good point. She uses a lot of energy. She often picks her opponents up and slams them down. Uh, big, uh, heavy slams. Uh, like we saw from Andrade last night, actually. Very similar style. Um, so it'll be an interesting matchup, honestly. I think that Shakarova will present some problems to Lauren Murphy. Murphy is a pretty solid fighter, improving rapidly, honestly. I think she's really uh, better than she ever has been. We, she picked up a nice victory over uh, Roxanne Matafari. Picked up a controversial decision over uh, Andrea Lee. But I give her credit for that fight because judges have short memories if sometimes they forget the first four minutes of a round if the last minute is convincing so laura murphy was losing the striking to andrea lee in that fight but she shot lake takedowns she won the fight in the eyes of the judges won the round in the eyes of the judges and she was able to steal that decision so I give a lot of credit to her for doing that. That was a pretty high uh, IQ move. And Laura Murphy's boxing is just very good. I think she's been improving that. She's actually got some yeah, power in her hands. Um, so I give an advantage to Laura Murphy in the striking here. I think she'll have the more effective striking with the more power in her punches. And then the, the grappling, I think, will be the closest aspect of this fight because Laura Murphy does not have the best takedown defense. She was taken down and outgrappled by Sajara Eubanks. So like you mentioned, uh, Shakarova with that wrestling background, I think that that will probably be her game plan here because she will be outmatched on the feet. I'm going to trust the UFC-tested fighter, the more proven well-rounded fighter in Lauren Murphy to stuff those takedowns, avoid getting stuck on her back, and to win the striking. But this is honestly a good uh, late-notice replacement fight. I think that Shakarova definitely has a path to victory here. And I think I cap uh, Murphy around 65% here. I'm going to pick her to win by decision. Uh, What are you thinking about your official prediction for this one, Carl? I have a lot of issues when it comes to Lauren Murphy. I think, don't get me wrong, I think that Lauren's career turnaround has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, considering she was, what, 1-3 and three as a bantamweight, I think her losses were against, I think, Sarah McMahon, Liz Carmouche, and Caitlin Chukasian. Um And then, of course, goes down into flyweight, gets herself like a three, four-fight winning streak. But if you look at those wins in a little bit more detail, they do last a little bit. Uh, Roxy, as much as I love her, is quite a vulnerable fighter when she can't take you down. And Murphy was just outboxing her. I thought she lost the Andrea Lee fight, and then the first fight of this winning streak was against Marva Barella, who's not in the UFC anymore, and in my opinion, she was losing that fight. She lost those first two rounds before she got that knee and knocked her out, so there has been a little bit of luck on getting Murphy into the top four, and also as well, I think that stylistically, this is a tricky matchup for her because we have such a good wrestler against somebody who doesn't have great takedown defense and seems a little bit too content to stay on her back. So, I think normally if you put an unranked fighter who's on the regional scene and put them against the number four in any division, they get whipped, except women's flyweight. So, I can see Shakarova. Am I confident enough to say that Shakarova's going to get herself the win? Not entirely sure, but there's a definite path to victory. I can see her at least winning one round. Yeah, good analysis there. Um, one thing I, I did note about um, Shakarova's takedowns is she, she doesn't really do much with the takedowns after she lands them, which is going to be a problem here because I think she can get brief takedowns, can maybe get a slam or two on Murphy, but what is she going to do with that t- uh, takedown? Is she going to look to pass guard to keep top position to land ground and pound? Uh, I don't 
know that she can do that. I haven't seen her do that enough in her tape study. So I just can't rely on her to do that here versus Murphy. Um, but she definitely does have a path of victory. Maybe I'll, uh, I'm interested to see what the, the betting line for this one is. It's not out yet because the fight was announced pretty recently. But I could see the odds being closer than 65%, which I uh, mentioned earlier. So uh, it's an interesting fight, good late replacement, and I'm looking forward to it. And definitely a big opportunity as well for Shakarova, a USC debut on the pay-per-view of one of the biggest events so far this year. So a big opportunity for her. One thing I do want to mention, though, is um, if you look at Shakarova's record, she has beaten quite a few comparatively decent level girls considering where she's been fighting. One of the people she does have a win over is a girl called Bo Meng, who is 10 and 4. She fights in one championship, and a notable victory for Meng Bo is against Xiong Wei Li. Yeah, interesting. I did, I did watch that Bo fight. Did not know that about um, her beating uh, Wei Li. Uh, that is interesting. Um, yeah, Bo was able to take her down in that fight. Um, actually, Bo looked pretty humongous in that fight. I, I wonder what she fought uh, Wei Li at, at, what weight class that was at. Um, but Shakarova made some good adaptations uh, late in that fight and was able to win that one. Uh, did she win that one officially? I remember watching one of uh, yeah, the Shakarova's loss against Borisova. I actually thought she won that fight. Um, just uh, watching it pretty quickly uh, on the first watch through, I thought that she probably deserved that decision. So we could be looking at an undefeated record uh, for Shakarova here. And for Lauren Murphy, do we look at a title fight if she wins? Four fight winning streak? Yeah, that would be pretty hard to deny, honestly. It really depends what Shevchenko, uh, her schedule is looking like, because we could always do Jessica Andrade versus Lauren Murphy if uh, Shevchenko wants some time off. I think that, when is that uh, Maya fight? Maybe November, November or something like that? Yeah, so realistically, if Murphy gets through this fight without much damage, I would not mind seeing Murphy versus Andrade for the number one contender. But to be honest... Um, like we were talking earlier about the title shot, Murphy has those wins at 125. She's been in the weight class. She's got the win streak. I would prefer to see her get the title shot over um, that quick, uh, high-impact win that Andrade got, but uh, the UFC going to UFC, so nothing you can do to stop that. So we go on to uh, fight number, well, fight number four, I should say, because uh, Phil Horse and Jacob Malcolm is going to be on this main card. This was a very late addition to the main card, so unfortunately we don't have the information for this one. So we're going to be moving on to fight number four. This one we're going up into the heavyweight division. Uh, two guys who have a lot in common. Both of them have headlined a COVID show, uh, unfortunately lost in both of these cases. And a real contrast in terms of striking styles. We've got full brute power taking on a technician. It's Walt Harris taking on Alexander Volkov. Yeah, it's a great way to describe them, brute power, technician, and uh, yeah, sorry to everybody about the Halls Malcolm fight. We just didn't tape that one. If you want to hear some thoughts on that later in the week, I'll probably talk about that on my podcast, uh, Martian MMA, later in the week if you want to hear my thoughts. But getting back to the heavyweight fight, uh, yeah, good, good, fun fight between Volkov and Harris, you know, two top-level uh, heavyweights. Um, it's just... I think Harris got a little exposed in that fight versus Overeem, and he kind of lacks a little depth to his game besides that bum rush, besides that round one knockout power. The only time I've honestly seen Walt Harris look good in a fight when he didn't get the round one knockout was Andre Arlovsky, where he was able to win that fight via a close decision. I think it was a split decision. I gave that to Arlovsky. I thought Arlovsky won that one. Yeah, um, I, I hadn't scored it. I remember thinking Harris won round one, and the last two rounds were really close. Um, but I think that was the 
the only time we've really seen Harris look good against another uh, good fighter. That's that's his problem is a lot of his wins are over low-level guys. I mean, he does have knockouts over uh, Olenek and Spivak, but those were in less than 60 seconds. We just didn't learn much from those. He just rushes at you with athleticism and unloads with power punches. And besides that, I just don't know that Walt Harris has much to his game. Um, so I see it being a pretty difficult matchup here versus Alex Volkov, who is the much more technical striker. And as you mentioned, he did fight in that Volk, uh, in the Blades fight and main event pretty recently. I thought he actually put a respectable performance together in that fight. He definitely lost the first uh, three rounds of that, but I think he came on pretty strong in rounds four and five, if I'm remembering that correctly. Maybe even hurt Blades with some knees in that fight. So he showed good cardio. He didn't give up in that fight. Struggle with some adversity, but kept fighting through it. So, in this one, I just see Volkov as the much more layered striker. He can use his reach, his kicks, his jab to keep Harris at range and to keep Harris uh, off of him with that big explosive combination. So, the pick for me in this one is going to be Alex Volkov by decision. Uh, in terms of betting in this one, though, I would not be betting Alex Volkov as that minus 170 favorite. I am kind of scarred for life. Uh, for betting Volkov over Derek Lewis. So I would never bet him as this much of a favorite again. And Walt Harris could realistically just nuke him with a punch at any time. Uh, definitely round one is the most likely path for that. So if you want to bet this fight, I would probably stay away from uh, betting the favorite. I would go with Harris as an underdog, maybe Harris want round one knockout. So what are you thinking about uh, your analysis for this one, Carl? You pretty much match the same way I, I feel as well. I think the Walt Harris... He's done very well to get into the UFC top 10. But he's done so at the expense of, let's be honest, not being the best fighter in the world. I think he's incredibly powerful. But outside of his power, he's quite limited outside of that. And if you look at his wins, um, I think there's 13 wins and I think 11 of them are in the first round. So if he doesn't get you in that first round, his chances do become much less. Um... Good lateral movement for a heavyweight, that's one of the positives he does have. And of course, big overhand right, which we've seen catch Volkov in the Derek Lewis matchup, for example, which ended up being um, pivotal in getting Derek that victory. But I think Volkov is a lot more careful after what happened against Derek Lewis. I think sometimes before then, he could maybe afford to get a little bit complacent, just take his foot off the pedal a bit, and that's what happened with Derek Lewis in that fight. Since then, though, um, obviously we saw against Greg Hardy. He could have very easily had his way with Greg Hardy in that match. But he chose to play it safe. He thought, hey, I'm just going to ease this one out. Just stick to me jab. That's one of the big things about Volkov. He has a fantastic jab. He's able to keep his distance. I'm in a very similar boat to you. I think there's value in Walt Harris in the first round. But if Walt doesn't get this done in the first round, I see nothing but a Volkov win. Yeah, good point about the Hardy fight. I think that that's probably how this fight looks, yes. honestly. Uh, I think that Harris could be, you know, thinking about the fact that he gassed out. He went for that early round one knockout, had a bit of an adrenaline dump versus Alistair Overeem. And he might try to fight a little more calculated and, and measured. Um, that would be a mistake, in my opinion. Uh, on his behalf, he would get picked apart in that type of fight. But he also likely wouldn't get knocked out and gas out in round two. So that might be better for him. He might want to just... Uh, fight this fight a lot safer and you know who knows what was going on with that fight with his training with all that was happening in his personal life before he did not look in good shape i think he gained like 10 or 15 pounds uh, from his last weigh-in in that fight so 
I'm hoping, honestly, that we could see uh, Walt Harris get a win to get back on track just to, you know, overcome what uh, what has happened with him lately. But unfortunately, I don't think that happens. I think that it'll probably be, as I mentioned, uh, a low output, uh, kind of a staring match, striking fight between these two. That's my official prediction is uh, a 15-minute decision where Volkov lands 60 strikes and Harris lands 30, and it's just not the most exciting fight. I always find it quite fascinating that Volkov's nickname is Drago when he fights nothing like Ivan Drago. He's <laughs> such a patient striker. He's a point fighter, basically. Yeah, just a blonde Russian guy. That's all you need to be called Drago, apparently. I'm interested to see what happens to the winner of this one in terms of the heavyweight rankings because there is a real logjam at the top of that division because the indications seem to be that it's going to be Stipe versus Ngannou next. But after that, you've got John Jones, and after that, you've got Curtis Blades, and after that, you've got an Alistair Overeem, who is taking on every single kind of young upcoming heavyweight, and in my opinion, deserves a top five opponent. So, it's going to be interesting to see who the winner of this gets matched up with. Yeah, I agree. Um, and just mentioning those names, I think I want to see Alex Volkov versus Alistair Overeem. That would be a really fun fight. Um, you know, of course, you got uh, John Jones clogging up the whole picture. I, I personally don't even believe that he will fight at heavyweight, but who really knows? I think that it's got to be Stipe versus Ngannou, and then you kind of have to uh, pick up the scraps after that with Blades versus uh, whoever. Um, Blades probably fights the winner of this fight, honestly. I think Blades and, is fighting the winner, uh, fighting Derek Lewis. I think that's a November pit, uh, fight night. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah, so I, I guess uh, Reem will be fighting the winner of this one, unless Harris wins, because I doubt they'll do that rematch right away. But uh, Alistair Ophreen versus Alex Volkov, that would be a really fun fight. What about Voice and Strike? Yeah, I guess he's in the picture, too. I mean, his stock is definitely lowered right now because of the last fight. Um, oh, oh, wait, no. He, beat he, he actually came back and Yeah, yeah, so he did have a quick turnaround. Uh, yeah, you're right. There is a, a big logjam at the top. Um I mean, Rosenstrike, I think, is 4-1 and one in his past five. Uh, Har- or Volkov might be a, a similar record. Yeah, so there, I, I don't really know. I, I don't want to completely play matchmaker because I'm kind of forgetting <laughs> uh, the whole landscape of the heavyweight division. Because um, I know they just announced be... uh, JDS versus Civil Gun. That's going to be happening soon. Yeah, I did see that. That's actually really good matchmaking, in my opinion. I think that Gaunt should probably get a win there and you know get that uh, that name uh, notoriety of JDS on his record. So, to clarify, just before we move on to the core main event, we're going to be going for the Volkov by decision? Yep, that's my pick. That's my pick as well, but I wouldn't be surprised if Harris finishes him in the first round, because we know how explosive Walt Harris can be. Yep, wouldn't be sh- wouldn't be shocked honestly, but I think it w- would probably be one of Volkov's uh, worst losses, yes. and ha- definitely Harris's best win too. So it would be uh, surprising, but not impossible. Uh, we're going to be moving on to the core main event now. This core main event, if you look at some of the promos, seems to be getting as much hype as uh, the main event is. It's a very intriguing matchup, a potential title eliminator in the middleweight division. Robert Whittaker is our number one contender. He's going to be taking on the number three, Jared Cannonier. Um, I'm really intrigued by this one because we have Whittaker, who, in my opinion, is probably the best all-rounder in that division, taking on a guy who, tell you what, we talk about Jan Blachowicz, we talk about Lauren Murphy, etc. Jared Cannonier is up there in terms of great career turnarounds. I mean, this guy was a heavyweight, he was a bit of a journeyman, a light heavyweight as well. 
Then he goes down the middleweight. He's won three fights in a row, all by stoppage. We've got to give a lot of kudos before we actually get into this fight for what's happened. Yeah, good point about the promos. Last night when I was watching Zombie and Ortega, they were running promos for this fight left and right. So it definitely seems like they're uh, really promoting this one, and rightfully so. It's a uh, definitely the number one contender fight at uh, at middleweight. And yeah, props to Cannonier. He dropped the weight. He dropped from heavyweight to light heavyweight. And not only that, but he gained a lot of skill along the way. Uh, I mean, I thought that he looked uh, very improved. His best version of himself ever versus Jack Hermanson in his last fight. Although that was 13 months ago, a bit of a long layoff here. But I'm not quite ready to completely believe in the 185-pound in the Jared Cannonier because the sample size is just too small. He had a five-and-a-half-minute fight versus Branch and Hermanson, uh, a five-minute fight versus Anderson Silva. So he's got 15 minutes of fight time. One of those wins was against Branch, who was quite frankly never the same after a World Series of Fighting, just wasn't the same fighter he was in the UFC and is no longer in the UFC anymore. Anderson Silva, 43 years old, that was a very surgical way that he dealt with Anderson Silva in that fight with the inside leg kick, uh, but just not very uh, proving of a win. And then definitely his best win is against Jack Hermanson. But I think Hermanson is just such a good matchup for him. Cannoneer, I think his best aspect is his takedown mm-hmm. defense. He's got such a heavy base. He's got he's hard to take down. And then even when he does get taken down, he's so athletic and explosive that he can get back up to the feet very easily. He was put in a bad spot very briefly by Jack Hermanson in that fight, but was able to get right back up to his feet and continue outstriking um, Hermanson. So Hermanson kind of just played into Cannonier's strengths. And I don't think that this fight is going to be like that at all. So uh, before I give my entire thoughts, I'll let you start this one off, uh, Carl. I want to hear your, your analysis on this one first. Well, I'm going to start with Cannonier because you made a great point when it came to the takedown defense. I think that that, in a way, has been one of the big reasons for Cannonier's success. I think that the heavyweight division and especially light heavyweight are quite grappling heavy. And when you saw Cannonier when he fought in Glover Toshiba, he could do nothing about those takedowns. Yes, he did well that Glover couldn't really do anything with him on the ground, but he had no way of getting back up. Yet, with this, yeah, with this division middleweight, yes, he got taken down by David Branch, but as that fight went on, Cannonier's takedown defense got a lot better. And it was the same thing with the Her- Hermanson fight. Um, yet... Could you imagine him handling someone like, say, like a Kelvin Gastelum, for example, somebody who is a wrestler by trade? So he's been a little bit lucky in avoiding a lot of those guys on his way to number three. Uh, in terms of Cannonier's strengths, big power for the weight class. You probably, I'd say Yoel Romero's probably number one, but you can make an argument for Cannonier being number two, possibly Paulo Costa. Um, and the other big thing he had success with, and I think it's probably his best chance against Whitaker, leg kicks. He caused Hermanson a lot of problems with his leg kicks early on. And as we've seen before, Robert Whittaker has had problems with people who attack the legs. Yeah, very good points there. Although one correction I think i got to go with is the, I think the hardest hitter at middleweight would be the champ Israel Adesanya. It might not be uh, thought of as the hardest hitter because, you know, skinny kickboxer. But I think his knockdown ratio is the highest in UFC history at like 1.3 knockdowns per fight or something. So... Might not seem like the hardest hitter, but I think he's honestly earned that that um, that title as the hardest hitter in the division. Well, Adesanya throws the perfect punch, the perfect technical punch. It's not like a brute strength. Yeah, raw. Yeah, these guys. I'm sure these guys can 
uh, lift more than Israel Adesanya <laughs> can. He's, he's definitely, they're definitely stronger than he is. Um, it's just something about the way Israel hits. Um, yeah, so good points about Cannonier with the leg kicks. And, you know, middleweight is just his, uh, a good division for him because there aren't very many wrestlers mm-hmm. at middleweight. The champion is a kickboxer who has good takedown defense. And that just seems to be a good style for this weight class. And that's why Cannonier's had a quick run to the top. But in this fight, I think that we got to start looking uh, to, at the past a little bit. We got to start thinking. I personally was imagining if this fight was in 2018, when Whitaker was still the champion, when Cannonier is coming off of two losses, I mean, Whitaker would be a minus four, mm-hmm. 600 favorite or something. He would be a massive favorite here. Just two years later, and one loss for Whitaker, the Israel Asanya loss, and just three quick wins for um, for Cannonier. All of a sudden, Cannonier is the favorite over one of the best middleweights of all time, Robert Whitaker, who is nine and one as a middleweight, with some beating some of the best middleweights ever. And Cannonier is the favorite over him. I think that's pretty crazy, to be honest. I, I understand why. I think. It's not completely warranted. I understand why. It's just because Cannoneer's stock is high right now. I think people still have a lot of doubts about Whitaker. And I don't think I have doubts about Whitaker. I think that he is slightly declining from the fighter that he once was. He's definitely not in his prime anymore. But make no mistake, he is still an incredibly crafty fighter. I mean, the Darren Till fight was a very smart and calculated performance. He got dropped in round one, but made the right adjustments and just started to pick Darren Till apart uh, for rounds two, three, and four of that fight. Uh, Round five was a little closer, but I think it was a clear two, three, four rounds for uh, Robert Whitaker in that fight. And it just showed uh, how versatile of a fighter that he is, he can struggle a little early, but he can settle into the fight and he can win the fight with just uh, elite precision and accuracy. But the way he was fighting in that till fight looked a little uh, wild at times. He was swinging big, wild overhands. He was um, kind of losing his feet. And I was talking to my buddy Sriram, and one thing that he said about Whitaker is he struggles closing the distance with his footwork so with when israel adesanya was far away from him he was swinging big combinations and missing and losing his feet and he was doing the same thing versus darren till so that's a big problem with whitaker when his opponent is at kicking range when they're out of punching range he really struggles to set up his offense so that's where i could see uh, jared cannonier having success with the leg kicks i could see jared cannonier having success with counter punching he actually landed a great counter uppercut on Jack Hermanson that led to the knockout in that fight. So Cannoneer, hard leg kicker, hard counter puncher. He is a difficult stylistic matchup for Whitaker in the, at this point in Whitaker's career. But I'm still going to trust the experience and the, the skill advantage for Robert Whitaker here. I think that he will find a way to defuse um, Cannoneer. He will either check leg kicks and he will just uh, find a way to win. I, I really believe in the fact that he's the better fighter, the more tactical fighter with better fight IQ. And I think that he will adapt to Cannoneer's strengths. And I do have a little bit of a concern over the fact that he's used to fighting over five rounds. Whitaker is a championship-level fighter. He's been in five-round fights uh, for the past five or six fights in a row. So now that this fight is three rounds, he has a lot less time to work. I think his output could be a bit of a problem here. Did not have the highest output versus Darren Till, but this will be such a a different matchup from Darren Till. I don't think we can heavily rely on that fight too much. Um, So I think I've said enough about this one so far. I I think Cannonier will be very dangerous for that round one knockout. He'll be very um, live to get that early round one. 
But if Kent or if Whitaker is able to withstand that early storm and make it out of round one, I think that he starts to uh, to pick Cannonier apart and win this one by decision. So I know that was a lot there. Uh, Carl, go ahead and share your thoughts on this one. If this fight had been booked at USC 248 like it was originally planned to, and Whitaker was coming off the Adesanya loss, I would have gone for Cannonier to have a good chance of winning this one. I think the Darren Till fight, the composure and the intelligence that Whitaker showed, because Darren Till is, I'm not going to sit here and say that Darren Till is one of the best middleweight fighters in the world, but he is capable of outpointing you. So I think Whitaker outpointing a point fighting specialist like that deserves a lot of credit. I agree with the result, 48-47 uh, for Whitaker. Um, I think for me, personally, I think Bob's the second best middleweight in the world. I think he is very well-rounded. He's great at concealing his offence. You, because of the way he holds his stance, you're not entirely sure if he's going to go for a kick. If he's going to try and take you down. He's going to throw a quick jab at you, which I think is one of his best strengths. Um, it is a very foot-heavy style, which I think does raise concerns considering how well Cannonier throws leg kicks. But he's always evolving. I think his counter wrestling is a lot better. The big issue for me, and we saw this again in the Darren Till fight, this is a guy who's been dropped in his past three fights. Yoel Romero, Darren Till, and Israel Adesanya. You do sometimes have questions when you've been in those wars. I mean, you fight Yoel Romero for nearly an hour. It's going to take your toll on you. And you do sometimes wonder if Cannonier does connect with that big shot, is Whitaker going to be able to handle it? Yeah, no doubt he is not the same man he was before and after he fought Yo Romero. I mean, he took a lot of damage to his knee in the first fight. He took a lot of head strikes in the second fight. And he's definitely just not the same fighter, not the same man. I mean, he really gave up a part of himself in the cage there, which is just why you got to respect uh, these fighters so much because they they really are leaving a part of their soul uh, in that cage sometimes. Um, now, getting over uh, to what you said I had one. I had one point I wanted to say uh, about Cannonier. I'm, I'm sort of forgetting what it was though. Um, I'll pass this back to you until I gather my thoughts here, Carl. As I said before, I think Cannonier would have had a better chance if this had happened in March. But I think Whitaker had that fight against Darren Till. He got himself back. He's got he got his confidence back. He reminded a lot of people how good he actually is. There are questions about his chin, but I don't see Cannonier being able to get that big shot. So I think Whitaker's going to take this one decision. Yeah. Um, so what I was thinking is that, you know, when you, you got to look at the level of striking in that fight. In the Romero fight, he got dropped later in the fight by a very skilled striker in Romero. Uh, the best port is Radisanya. And Darren Till dropped him with a, a, clo uh, in a closing in elbow. He recovered pretty quickly from that. So I don't think that Whitaker's chin is in any trouble yet. The point I wanted to bring up was, if you look at the Jan Blachowicz fight, when he fought Jared Cannonier just a few years ago, Jan actually had a lot of success with his jab, a lot of success with that lead left hook of his, and as you mentioned, Whitaker, his best punch, I think, is his jab, and he's just got a very educated lead left hand, so I think that Whitaker will probably learn from that a little bit, and will be um, throwing uh, hard jabs, throwing hard lead hands the entire time, and I think that we could see um, Whitaker land his own leg kicks, too. He's got very good timing on his leg kicks uh body kicks as well so i just think we see uh, whitaker be the more layered and experienced striker and uh, likely win this one by decision what are you going with as an official prediction for this one carl whitaker by decision 
Nice, nice. We're pretty much on the same page with everything so far, I think. Uh, all three main card picks, I think, were identical. Hopefully we uh, maybe differ a little bit in this main event. Right, here we go. Main event time. This is the one that everybody's going to be uh, tuning in for. We're going to be doing our own individual video for this one. It is time for us to talk about our lightweight title fight. Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, arguably one of the greatest fighters of all time, 28 and 0. He's going to be making another defense of his belt. He's going to be taking on a man who is describes himself as the most violent man in the UFC, Justin Gagey. 22 and 2 record. This has all the makings potentially of being an epic matchup. Yeah, what an elite fight, elite matchup. This is number one versus number two at lightweight right now. I don't think anybody would dispute that. Uh, in the UFC, at least, I know there's a lot of uh, great international fighters, but these are the two best lightweights in the UFC right now. Justin Gaethje coming off of that incredible performance uh, over Tony Ferguson. And I think that t Justin Gaethje is just an underrated fighter in terms of, of ca casual perspective, in terms of the betting window. I think that... People think he's a brawler. People think he's a wild, uh, you know, puncher who just spams leg kicks and punches without much defense. I mean, at one point, I think that was a good description of Gaethje, but he has just evolved over time. He's gotten so much better, and he was a plus 200 underdog to Tony Ferguson, and he won that fight convincingly. 90, 90 95% of that fight. Justin Gaethje was in control. He did get dropped briefly at the end of the second round, but that was really Tony, Tony's only success he had in the fight. Just a masterclass performance from Gaethje where he showed the improvements in his footwork. He showed that he is more calculated and measured. He doesn't go for the kill and the knockout like he was doing in the Eddie Alvarez fight and in the Dustin Poirier fight. He's learned from those losses. He's gotten better. And I think that Justin Gaethje has never been better. The footwork, the boxing, the leg kicks that he does. I think he's one of the best fighters in the sport right now. And I'm not disrespecting Khabib because Khabib is one of my one of my favorite fighters. You know, he is uh, such a dominant at what he does. He has the best grappling in the sport. He has learned how to use the cage better than any fighter mm -hmm. has in, in, in MMA history. Um, but in terms of well-roundedness, in terms of who I think is the, the more well-rounded fighter, I, I got to go with Justin Gaethje. I think I've always been a little unimpressed with how underdeveloped Khabib striking is. I mean, he really doesn't seem to be making an effort to make his striking better. I think his striking is arguably about the same as it was as when he entered the UFC. I mean, we've seen glimpses of success from him on the feet, but when you look at um, the guys he trains with, Tagir Ulanbekov, Umar, Umar Nurmagomedov, Saeed Nurmagomedov, these guys are high-level strikers. They come from a more uh, Taekwondo kicking background, but I, I just wonder how Khabib has never really evolved his striking to be able to compete with other strikers because – I mean, he makes a lot of critical mistakes in terms of footwork and punching technique on the feet, and um, I won't—I don't want to take too much away from Khabib because I think he is still an incredible fighter, a very dominant fighter, and he always finds a way to get the fight to the floor. But See, I think that this this fight will be his hardest uh, test to get the fight to the floor. Uh, I'll pass it back to you, to Carl. See, I do—I do personally think that Khabib has made some progress in his striking. It hasn't been massive. But if you look at his debut against, I think it was Kamal Shalorus. I mean, the guy looked like Ben Askren in there, the way he was trying to throw strikes. And yet, we go six, seven years later, he drops Conor McGregor. So there must be some sort of improvement there. But I do agree with you, considering his training partners, 
there should be a big jump in terms of his stand-up. But I guess when you're so good at grappling, it's maybe not a an area that you're going to mainly have all your focus into. The big test for me in this fight is going to be Justin Gagey's takedown defence. Now, he hasn't been taken down since being in the UFC. There was like a brief moment where he, he almost shot for a takedown when he fought Eddie Alvarez. And he did briefly go onto his back. It was almost like the MMA gods were saying, what are you doing going for takedowns? You're just engaging. Get back up. Um, I do have concerns in that area, though. I've been listening to some interviews with Justin. He admits he's not great off his back. And I saw a fight in WSOF when he fought Brian Cobb. And Brian Cobb managed to get him down. And he had no idea what he was doing when he got taken down. So I am a little bit concerned of how Justin's going to handle it. If and when Khabib does get that takedown. Yeah, so one thing you said that I'm going to disagree with, and you said the fight is about takedown defense. I actually think the fight is about footwork and geography more than it is takedown defense. What I say when I mean geography, I heard this used by Teddy Atlas, and he means where the fight takes place in the ring, in the cage. And Justin Gaethje is very aware that this fight needs to stay in the center of the mm -hmm. cage. He is aware that Khabib is at his best when he puts you against the cage. And also, I've been listening to interviews with Gaethje. I did not hear where he admitted that. I think I have heard him admit that, but I haven't seen the Brian Cup fight. Um, but Gaethje is very aware of where he needs to keep the fight. He knows that I think I think he's very aware that he is not a better wrestler than Khabib. But he knows that he has the footwork and the boxing to make it hard for Khabib to be able to shoot on him, which is I think a very underrated aspect of this fight, because. When Gaethje is pressuring Khabib, if he starts off pressuring, that immediately makes it harder for Khabib to shoot a takedown. When he's on the back foot, it's harder for you to get the momentum to shoot a takedown forward. And then when Khabib is coming forward at Gaethje, he's going to have to deal with the jab, the punches of Gaethje, the calf kick of Justin Gaethje. So no matter where Khabib is moving backwards or forward in this fight, I think it's going to be difficult for him to get those takedowns off. And especially in the middle of the cage, Khabib is not a great open space wrestler. He can shoot takedowns together, but we even saw Conor McGregor have some success stuffing the takedown in the center of the cage. That first that scramble, long... Conor did very well. Yeah, he had some success, and I think that's when you... Re I mean, Conor, also not a lifelong wrestler. He is a, a striker at heart. We're, we're dealing with Justin Gaethje, a lifelong wrestler, a, a Division One collegiate wrestler, which is some of the hardest athletics you could possibly be involved in, in my opinion, college D1 wrestling. And Gaethje knows he has that... He just knows that he's more comfortable in wrestling exchanges. He has that background. He has that experience where Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor didn't. Um, so I, I'm, I'm trying not to talk too much for this one. I'll, I'll um, pass it back to you, Carl, before I, I keep going with my analysis in this one. So what do, what do you think about what I just said? I totally agree with you. I actually got it on the notes on the screen here. I think that octagon control is going to be a big factor. And I do think that while Khabib is very good, a lot of his success does come against the fence. Um, so I would like to see Justin Gagey, and I think he's capable of doing it, try and keep the fight in the center. Because when Connor was stuffing the takedowns in the third round, and you have to remember Connor won that third round, he kept the fight in the centre and he was able to have a lot more success stuffing them. Same with Gleason Tebow, same with, dare I say, Ally Aquinta stuffed a lot of takedowns when they were in the centre of the octagon. So I agree with you, I think Justin is going to need to keep it there. But we've seen so many people come up against Khabib Nurmagomedov and we talk about 
striking power. We talk about a wrestling background and he still powers through them. Um, I think the key for me with Khabib is Khabib isn't a supreme technician when it comes to takedown, but what he does very well, he'll shoot from a long way out, they'll stuff that first takedown, and then he immediately chain wrestles and gets another one straight away, and that's how he gets you against the fence, and that's how he gets you down. Yeah, incredible chain wrestling. Doesn't have the, the most, you know, singular dominant shots, but as you mentioned, he chains it together. He's tough. He's extremely hard to get off you, and he usually works you to the cage. He'll shoot in the center of the cage, chain you together, work you back to the cage, and I just haven't seen a, a, a lot of great takedown defense from the opponents that he's fought. I mean, most notably in the recent fights against McGregor. And Poirier, Poirier notably, I thought Dustin Poirier fought so absolutely terribly against uh, Khabib. It, it was crazy to watch. I mean, Poirier had been preparing for that fight for so long. I'm a massive fan of Dustin Poirier. He's an incredible fighter, but it just looked like he was not mentally ready for that fight. It didn't look like he was technically ready either. He did not practice the right things. He was jumping guillotine. He was trying to get back up to his feet after he got taken down. If you look at Conor McGregor, he actually did pretty well in terms of game planning for Khabib. He got taken down early, but he didn't even try to stand up in round one. He saved his energy, and he didn't waste any time trying to get back up, and that's what a lot of guys have problems with. Ally Quinta did this. Justin Poirier did this. The second they get taken down, they put their hands on the mat. They get to their knees. They try to stand up, and Khabib is a master at dragging you back Mm -hmm. to the floor. So if Gaethje gets taken down against the cage, I don't see him getting up. I don't see him him having the get-ups or the jiu-jitsu or anything to get back up to his feet. So I honestly don't see this fight being competitive. I think that whoever starts winning the fight early will likely win the, the entire fight. So if Khabib gets Gaethje down early, I don't see Gaethje adapting late and, and overcoming that. And if Gaethje starts out striking Khabib early, I don't see Khabib somehow uh, getting through that striking of, of Gaethje. So I don't see it being um, competitive, honestly. I don't think it's going to be like a back-and-forth type of fight, sort of like the Connor fight was where they traded rounds. Um, so yeah, I'll go back to you, Carl, for a few minutes. I'm in a very similar boat, but as much as I do like Justin Gagey, and I do think there are a lot of traits which I do like about him, I do trust his takedown defense. I do think it's a lot better than some of Khabib's other opponents, and I think especially considering the work he's done with Trevor Whitman, I think he's going to benefit from not having a crowd there. Because he's going to hear every single instruction that Trevor is going to give him. And in my opinion, Trevor Whitman is up there with Eugene Behrman in terms of the best minds in the sport right now. But yeah, full, fully agree. it's going to come down to that first takedown. And we've said so many times that Connor's going to be the man to stop Khabib or Dustin's going to have the jiu-jitsu to stop him. We've said that so many times, I can't root against Khabib. I think he's going to get it done in the first two rounds. Um, so one thing I'll mention is that the last time I saw Gaethje stuff takedowns was in the Luis Firmino fight in 2016. There were a lot of frantic scrambles and sprawls in that fight. Gaethje definitely had a lot of uh, nervous energy when he got taken down. He was trying to explode back up. And I'm a little worried about that in this fight. Mm-hmm. I think that if he does that same thing here, he will get dragged back down to the canvas. He will waste energy. He will likely stay on bottom versus um, Khabib. But I trust him to do what Connor did and just to stay uh, composed if he gets taken down to just kind of count it as we lost this round. Let's stay defensively sound and not get submitted. But 
I honestly don't think it's going to come down to the first takedown defense. I think it's going to come down to how the first 30 seconds of the fight go. Like the way that Connor pressured Khabib and got him on the back foot, the way that Michael Johnson did so as well and had a lot of success, I think that's going to be very indicative here because if Gaethje can start putting Khabib on the back foot right away, I think we're going to start to see Khabib shoot some sloppy takedowns and we're going to be see Justin Gaethje shows some pretty good takedown defense because when Khabib is moving backwards, he's just not an, an effective wrestler. He's going to have to be pressuring Gaethje, getting Gaethje moving backwards to shoot takedowns. And I just don't see how he does that when he doesn't have the striking tools to threaten Gaethje really at all. I mean, he could, of course, wing that overhand right and catch him like he did Connor, but I just don't think that's a very a consistent thing to happen here. So... I'm actually going to be going with Justin Gaethje to pull off the upset here. I mean, early in the week, or since the fight has been announced, I had been uh, excited about Justin Gaethje's chances. I had been rooting for him, but I always in the back of my mind, I thought I would still be picking Khabib. But after doing more tape study, after really thinking about the fight, I really think I got to trust my gut and go with Gaethje. One thing you mentioned is Trevor Whitman. Trevor Whitman is such a great MMA coach. He was on the podcast with Rogan and Gaethje, and they respect Khabib. They know how good Khabib is, but they also recognize where his strengths are, where his weaknesses are, and I just think that they are at the place and time right now where they have game plans so well. They're in such great sync. They have good training partners. I mean, Team Elevation is one of the best champions right now. Kamara Usman was just training with uh, Gaethje not that long ago, so he's got a ton of experience with cage work, with takedowns. I think the timing is right for Justin Gaethje. He's made the right improvements. He has the boxing, the leg kicks, and the footwork to make this fight harder uh, than it needs to be for Khabib. And I don't think I don't think that he has the takedown defense to stop the, the takedowns of Khabib. I think that if Khabib gets in, uh, collects his hands behind uh Gaethje's waist. I think that Khabib will get him down and keep him down, but I don't think that Gaethje allows Khabib to get close enough to get those takedowns. Uh, and it might seem like a bold prediction because Khabib has gotten everybody down. But when you look at the way that Khabib aggressively charges in for those takedowns, he's very reckless and he gets away with a lot of mistakes there. And I think that Justin Gaethje has the wrestling background, he's got the footwork, and he's got the offensive striking tools to make Khabib pay for those mistakes here for the first time in his career. So I'm going to be going with Gaethje to get, uh, I think it'll be a finish, honestly. I think we see. Khabib likely show an insane chin. He's going to probably show incredible toughness, just like uh, Tony Ferguson did. But eventually, I think that Khabib's lead leg is going to be getting shut down from calf kicks. He's going to be eating more punches than he has in his career. And I think we eventually see Gaethje knock Khabib out in round three. So it's a crazy bold prediction, but I am predicting that Khabib loses his undefeated streak here and Gaethje is the man to do it. So what do you think about that, uh, that bold prediction, Carl? It's a bold prediction, but I have heard other people say the same thing. I know that Jason Hartley from MMA On Point, he's very, he very adamant that he thinks that Gaethje has got a great chance of doing this. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not supremely confident and he wins before the tony ferguson fight i was supremely confident in gaethje i was telling people on my podcast that this betting line is 20 30 percent off it was the biggest bet i've ever had on a fighter uh was gaethje as a two to one underdog over ferguson i'm not as quite confident here i'm confident that gaethje is a good bet i'm confident that at plus 250 for two and a half times uh your money i think that 
Justin Gaethje is a good bet. I'm confident in that. Um, I don't, I'm not confident that he will fully win the fight and get this championship around his waist and defeat Khabib for the first time. But I'm very uh, confident that Gaethje is the right guy to have your money on in terms of the betting line for this fight. Yeah, you don't want to take any advice from me for bets I've actually put on. I've only ever bet on uh, one fighter, and that was 8-1 on Anthony Smith to beat John Jones. Yeah, well, you said you said uh, there was value on Walt Harris round one knockout earlier. I mean, that's uh, that's a betting perspective. That is an accurate betting perspective too. So, I mean, I think that your fight knowledge is good enough, uh, and you know, betting lines are a little different. You do have to transition your thinking a little bit, but I think that if you uh, really, you know, started getting into more betting and focusing on that, I think that you would be a very competent better as well. Carl. Well, that's just one pound. That was just like a one pound that I put on there. And to be honest, if he wasn't such a nice guy, that would have come off. Yeah, right? He would have taken that DQ. You were probably screaming at the TV. DQ, Stay down, stay down. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, amazing fight. Uh, what, what are you going with as your official prediction, Carl? Could be second round. round. Um, second. I, I'm going to say ground and pound. Interesting, interesting. I think... I think submission has been become more likely. I think that we likely see some ungodly toughness from Gaethje as well. And if Khabib does win this fight, I think it will be probably by, um, I go with round two, round three submission. But um, you, we could see Gaethje, you know, use that that nervous energy if he. It's really hard to, to predict how this fight will go from a takedown defensing defensive grappling perspective because we haven't seen Gaethje on his back in mm -hmm. five, six years. I really don't even know if there's much point in, in analyzing whether Gaethje can get up. Personally, I'm believing that once Khabib gets him down, he will hold him down. I don't believe that uh, Gaethje has the get up to uh, stand up from Khabib's takedowns. And a big question as well is what happens after this fight? Because obviously we know that Khabib is 28 and all. All the indications seem to be that he wants to get to 30 and all and then retire. So if Justin Gaethje wins this fight, there's no question he's going to get the winner of Conor versus Poirier. Khabib, yeah. Khabib doesn't seem all that interested in that fight. I think the Dustin fight would be too recent. You wouldn't really get anything different from that. And he doesn't seem to have any interest in fighting Conor again. So the question is, what happens to Khabib if he wins this fight? Does he yeah. get GSP? I don't think I don't think GSP is going to happen, honestly. Um, and I agree that it shouldn't be Connor, it shouldn't be Dustin. Those are two recent Khabib's wins over them, which is too convincing to to give a rematch. And that fight is being rumored to happen at 170 pounds anyway, so that would be a disgrace if they gave him a 150 pound, 155 pound title shot off of that. Honestly, the move I would go with is giving the fight to Tony Ferguson. I mean, the man deserved that shit. He won 13 fights in a row. Uh, no one in the history of the UFC has, has won 12, 13 fights in a row and didn't get an undisputed title shot. I mean, we're giving undisputed title shots to guys with zero wins, one win. They're coming off of losses, and they're getting undisputed title shots, and they really disrespected Tony Ferguson. I mean, they tried to give it to him multiple times. Don't get me wrong. But the UFC still did a lot of wrong to Tony Ferguson along those years when he deserved the title shot. So even though Tony is coming off of the loss, I think that he still probably deserves a title shot. And I wouldn't mind seeing Khabib versus Tony uh, as Tony's uh, or as Khabib's 30th win. And that is all the time that we have for the preview show. It has been an absolute pleasure to be talking to, with you, John. Um, obviously, you're going to be discussing all of the fights in a lot more detail on your podcast. Uh, for anybody who is just joining us, can you give us, um, tell us the um, details? 
Yeah, thanks, Carl, again, for having me on. I always have fun talking about these fights with you. And uh, big fan of the It's Not Fighting Cage, uh, It's Not Cage Fighting uh, YouTube channel as well. Always love those videos. But yeah, so my channel on YouTube is Martian MMA. You can find me on YouTube, SoundCloud, and the Apple Podcast app. I analyze every single fight on every single UFC card since UFC 218. Haven't missed a single card in over, I think, 110 events. So you can find uh, my official bets on my Bet MMA Tips page, and that's on my Twitter. My Twitter is at UFO underscore UFC. Um, that's where you can find out all my bets, all my links to my different profiles and everything. And uh, thanks again, Carl. You know these are a lot of fun, and uh, I appreciate you giving me the platform uh, platform on the INC YouTube channel. It's an absolute pleasure, and I want to say as well a big thank you to everyone who has been supporting the channel. We're closing in on 40,000 subscribers, which considering I started doing this as a laugh because I wanted to try and get some use out of my university degree, I think is a fantastic achievement. So thank you very much for all of the support. Um, this has been the UFC 254 preview show. John, I hope to have you back next month. We'll talk about UFC 255, a flyweight showcase for both the men and the ladies. Yeah, thanks, Carl. Hope you all enjoyed the fights this weekend. Hope you all win some bets, and I uh, hope to be back on the podcast soon, Carl. Yeah, thank you very much for joining me, John. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. This is the INC, and thank you for watching. Peace.